one buttoned up. I'm very relaxed, as you can tell. I've been stretching. Oh, mate. For, for, a, for a, a veteran chat that's supposed to be tech centric, that was fucking painful. Yeah, fuck, <laughs> it's probably my yeah, fault. <laughs> so, mate, because the last time we met was on a DFSW course in in um, yeah two thousand seven, maybe yeah, Offspring Show DFSW. Yeah, maybe eight, a seven or eight, maybe. Yeah, long With, time, uh, another lifetime, mate. I, and I was just, I was just thinking then. Um, mm. Because who's the dude that's just been released over in Afghan? Matu- that heck, Matula. Oh yes, with, yeah, yeah. With uh, Luke Gavin, he was because he want to go yeah. kill Luke Gavin. Hey, yeah, that's right. So, yeah. and uh, I've got I found that old photo about six months ago when I moved house of actual DFSW officer NCO. I saw that old picture of us all standing there. Oh my god, that's a that's a fucking flashback and a half, isn't it? I looked about 12, as I always did throughout my whole career. Needed a note from my mum to be there. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what on excursions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sort of post-army and, and doing all that mm. and then transitioning out, which is something that I'm sort of going through or at, at the moment. But um, what did you – was there sort of pitfalls that you fell into from going – in the army with all the boys killing it because now the reason why we got you on is a couple mm. of reasons is um, the field you work in is fucking crazy uh, interesting and the second one is yeah. you're super successful mate and and it's and we want to showcase people who have succeeded post getting out and that yeah know. yeah no and uh, well I'll be honest I I I don't think my transition out of military was as difficult as other blokes, to be honest, because I, uh, and I'll be honest, I, I was never one of the boys. Uh, you know, I, I was, I didn't, I didn't know any idea about rugby. I was a dirty Victorian. Um, actually, a bit of an aside, I, I turned up at, uh, down the shat by myself. This is, I think, the start of 2005 when I first got to three. I turned up down the shat and um, I, I, I went to where they were watching TV and they were watching uh, rugby and it was State of Origin. I'd never heard of State of Origin. And uh, I sat down and I uh, I said, oh, uh, what's this? They're like, oh, fucking State of Origin, mate. Who's playing? And they're like, get the fuck out of fuck here. Throwing <laughs> cans at me. And, uh, yeah, so I, that was my welcome to three. But, no, I um, – no, but, but going back to your point, uh, I don't think I had much trouble transitioning out because I didn't have that feeling of separation when I left. I had a few close mates, but I was never, and I'll be honest, I was never part, felt like I was part of that that sort of collective sort of boys club uh, brotherhood type thing. And I wish I had been, you know, but uh, just um maybe it wasn't uh just it was just a personality thing uh i was very young very immature um i had a lot to learn in life um and i just don't think that i that that gelled with a, a lot of the um the rest of the the lads there but uh great friends i had a great time at three hour and it's uh, you know the bedrock of the work ethic and the um you know the controlled aggression and the uh, speaking your mind and you know the ability to communicate i learned from the military hugely beneficial to my career now 
so when I left that, I didn't feel that disconnection as much, but I did float around between, I thought I chased jobs that I thought were the cool things to do um, and ended up being just not within my, what I should be doing at all. A lot of lessons learned, a lot of mistakes made, but I ended up starting to study cybersecurity. I'd always been a, a bit of a tech nerd um, and I'd started my own business in the US, I'd actually moved to San Diego. This was about 2013 after floating around for a few years. And I, I went to San Diego and I burnt the boats, so to speak, didn't have a plan B, spent, sold everything that I owned to be able to start this business and do risk management work. And a, a portion of that work was cybersecurity and IT security work. And, you know, it ended up being far more successful than I expected it to be. Um, and we ended up opening offices in you know, Singapore and then one in Sydney. And uh, due to visa complications, my now wife and I moved back to Sydney. And it's funny, when you when you do open a business in the US, um, when you come back here to Australia, even if the success in the US was, you know, it was okay, it gets put under a magnifying glass back here in Australia and you appear far more successful than what you actually were. So it, it actually <laughs> opened up and I'm like, fuck, yeah, that's fine. I'll, I'll take that. I'll... Um, take every advantage you can when you're sort of a struggling, um, you know, founder and you've bootstrapped the whole business. I, I, I didn't um, give away equity or, or seek um, capital through either debt or equity at any stage during the business. And I'm glad I did that. Um, I, I did contemplate it for a while, but I ended up just bootstrapping it the whole way. Um, but what I found was I was too close to the business and while I, whilst I learned, I'd learned a lot running it and, you know, I'd completed my studies and what I was studying at the time and with cyber and, you know, I was doing other degrees by then, I found that I was too close to the business. I couldn't see the forest through the trees and it was, I just felt like it wasn't the future for me. I wanted that more corporate experience, the bigger end of town, learning that, that polished corporate experience so after I was bought out of the business by a larger sort of risk management firm I, I got headhunted by Deloitte to come in and um, you know build their federal government cyber risk business from the ground up with another one of the uh, leaders that was already there uh, so that that went quite well uh, we did we did great work there won some big government federal government contracts living down in Canberra but I found that the culture of Deloitte wasn't wasn't for me um, I really need a purpose to be able to do the work that I do. And whilst I love cybersecurity, I am very values-driven and driven by a purpose that goes beyond profitability. And I found that some of their purported values that they said they lived by, uh, it all it's fell away and came down to the quarterly revenue targets. And Deloitte's a fantastic business, and I'm certainly not criticising them. It just wasn't an alignment of values. But they were surprised when I left, and uh, uh, I blamed my wife and said she didn't like the cold in Canberra. But, uh, <laughs> so we left in good terms. Um, but, you know, and since then, I've, I've joined uh, a company called Anchor, and I've joined as their, as their senior managing director running their cyber risk business in APAC based here out of Sydney. Um, so it's a, a managing partner equivalent. It's, you know, those American rank structures. But uh, yeah. Yeah, brilliant role. Um, they actually live by their values, a lot of freedom of movement, and uh, 
and you know, and I've I've joined a couple of boards in the past couple of years, a um, couple of mid to large large size not for profits where uh, one is a disability services provider. They've got about fifteen group homes across the Greater Sydney region. Uh, brilliant company, and then there's a small Indigenous not for profit based out of uh, Perth uh, that's doing some amazing work with their technology platform. So, so yeah, that's been quite interesting. But it's it's been a, it's been a journey. It's been something that um, I learned a lot on and you look back and you think to the person that you were in the military and just post-military and I'm sure you guys have had these thoughts as well. You're like, fuck, what an idiot. I just... That must take some balls, man, to sell up and go, you know what, I'm putting my eggs in one basket and I'm going to San Diego. Like there's people that yeah. would never do that, man, people that would never step foot forward. A lot of people, no, I think. no, you know, and I don't, I don't think that makes me, um, you know, braver or better than anybody else. I think I just saw what the potential was in this market in cybersecurity, and you know, that's it's very rare you'll find somebody that goes from being a shit kicking grunt to, you know, a, a managing partner of a big consulting firm within under 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 a decade. You know, it usually takes about twenty years to do that sort of thing, but. That's not because of me being anyone special. It's just because of the industry and the rapid growth that it's experienced. And I, I sort of saw that before it all started kicking off in a massive way. And I saw that that experience in the US would carry a lot of credibility and brand assurance for me as an individual. And because of what's helped me quite a bit as well is the clients that I had running my own business quite a few of them were media organisations. And whenever something to do with cybersecurity or one of my relative topics that I cover came up around tech or anything, they'd give me a call because they were the only I was the only person they knew, you know. Um, and then I'd have my router head up, up in front of the TV. And to this date, whenever I get my head on the TV, one of the blokes from almost always from three will send me a message. Yeah. Fuck, mate, you've got a head for radio, I tell you. <laughs> I saw you a couple of times. And I nearly spat my coffee out. I was like, "This bloke yeah. has gone from you all the way, mate." It was like consulting and risk management. I think you were on Channel Seven or something. And I was, yeah, was it Seven? Yeah, yeah, Channel Seven. Yeah, I, I don't do too much TV stuff anymore. Mostly, what I do is is writing. I've, I've found um, I found I've got a real uh, passion for um, prose and, and writing um, and. I've sort of been tapping into that as a way of, of stress relief. I've, I've been studying you know, writing for a while. I've always been an avid reader, like a, a voracious reader. I think I've read about two books a week for the past 20 years. And, I, and it's it's my learning style um, because I, you can tell me your name and uh, I'm not an auditory learner or a kinesthetic learner, mind you. I, I, I Like most blokes, I don't learn by doing um, I actually learn by reading. So I'm, I'm fortunate enough where my memory, if I read something, I retain it. But every other learning style, it's just through one ear and out the other. I'm so shit with well, Mate, I think they've got to invent another one because I, I haven't found one learning style that I can fucking pick stuff up with. 
<laughs> yeah. so beat it into yourself. And that's the thing. Some people are just pure repetition, 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 and that's the only way that they can learn. I think David Goggins, I remember he said something like that where he only learned through, you know, doing it a 100 times over. And some people just learn that way. But for me, it was through reading. And I found it really benefited my communication style, both verbally and writing. You know, I so I do a, quite a bit of writing for the Australian Financial Review now. Um, and, and a few different publications and more security-focused publications. And I really enjoy that. And, I, you know, I write my own blog on, on my website and things like that. I haven't updated it in a few months, but, you know, I know I'm quite fond of a rant. You know, I talk about <laughs> I talk about that thing, that purpose beyond profits and being driven by values and about perverse incentivization and, um, you know, uh, intangible assets and things like that that I'm really quite passionate about that are, you know, newer subjects to the Australian environment or the wider corporate environment anyway. Most financial pundits, they, um, you know, talk about it a bit. But um, I, I see people like us um, as representatives of everything that corporate leaders should be in Australia, and particularly veterans. We're not just, you know, physical security or PTs or, you know, what have you, we're capable of so much more. And there's been so many sort of veterans that have come before us that has sort of laid that pathway and made it easier for blokes like us. But I think it's up to us to to really establish a foothold and, and establish ourselves as the next generation of leadership where we won't tolerate, you know, the, the values that haven't been upheld by current corporate leadership or previous corporate leadership and boards, you know, around issues of diversity and living by your values and, you know, those types of things. But it's, um, I, I think the onus is on us to help people that are coming after us and to um, to really, you know, hold a flag up for, for everybody that's like us because typically because of age or because of our status as a, you know, a veteran, um, we're uh, at a disadvantage, you know, particularly in the, the upper echelons of corporate Australia. You know, it's, it's my intent to be on a ASX 200 board at, at, by next year, if not the, by the end of this year. And, um, you know, uh, uh, it's, it's extremely lofty ambitions, but to enact change, you have to do it from the top. It's a top-down thing. Um, you can't just sit and complain about it in that middle ranks and hope that something changes and somebody comes along and does the right thing and is motivated by something other than money. So, because what? Because that that veteran space, you can you see it a lot. There's a, lot, a big growth in the people and culture in large corporations. Mm. That that sector, not just um, well, it's not just your. Um, HR, but but the growth of building a culture from the from the bottom up, or mm. do you think you can have much luck changing it from inside out? Listen, culture in a company is probably the hardest thing to change. It's, you know, um, it's like turning a boat in an ice float; it's almost impossible. But uh, from the bottom up, no, I don't believe you've got a, a good chance of doing that. But from the top down, I think you've got a better chance of doing it. You know, the board at a governance level, drives the strategy and the culture of a business. Um, that's their function, and they set the tone. 
and the leadership of the company set the tone and through their hiring standards, you know, it's up to the board to hire the CEO and hire the leadership of the business and to ensure that the operations are aligned with the strategy that you set as a board. Um, I think that's the position that you'd want to be in to enact change. And if you can get onto a board of a influential company that's quite um, open to public, you know, criticism and, and, and perception, then um, that is a, you know, it's a good start. But um, it's, it's going to take a while. It's going to take a long time if I can do it at all. And it certainly won't be doing it by myself. You know, it's it's about get, doing things together and, and, like I said, bringing other people with you on, on that journey and getting other people to buy into exactly what it is that you, you're trying to um, you're trying to do. But uh, I think, um, like, uh, going back to your point about um, veterans, there's some great programs that are being run, you know, um, by some of the larger corporates that, are, that try and hire veterans. Uh, you know, Westpac's got a, their um, chief information officer their, um, and their CEO as well. They're very big on veteran hiring veterans, so that's really great to see. Uh, it'd be good to see a, a program that hires veterans in every large organisation um, and it gives them pathways of, you know, education once they get there and, and learning because I, I believe we've got a lot of value to add. Yeah, I think the uh, – because the, you, you hear about it, boys getting out of the army and getting in and, and, and I've been in long enough now – uh, where guys have got out for a couple of years and got back in and like, why'd you get out? And they're mm. like, because cities just don't, they were like, they just don't have your back. They're all out for themselves. Yeah. They, this culture that they're, this, this idea, like this ideal that they're taking into the corporate world or the, or it's just not the same in army. And then, but the, the skills aren't transferable. Like even starting a new, even starting a new business or starting Swiss eight, you're like, okay, we're a veteran charity. We need to hire veterans. And you'd rather and we and we sort of sat down and we, we all got together and we did a big redwood round table and said, do do you get like do you use do you take the hit hire a veteran because he's got the culture mm. and you can just train the skill set, or do you hire the civvy and train the culture? And and our argument is you can't train the culture, so train no, the skill it's, set. It's, it's hard because I think once you've been ex-military and uh, you know once you're a veteran, you I think you're always got that mindset. It's it's you know you never ever truly feel like a civilian. And I've been I've been out of the military far longer than I was ever in the military. Now you know I left end of 2010 and I didn't join till end of 2004. I was only in six years, and um, you know and I, I I did two Timor trips and that was it as as one of my um, fans told me i'm barely a veteran <laughs> so i always like that one uh it, it hurt at the time when they told me that but i actually now um i've got it written on the inside of each of my journals so now when i open it up i go yep barely a veteran it's still going though um it's 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 motivating you know so i i um so I, I can't comment on the depths of you know guys who went to the GAN in Iraq and things like that uh, of the things the challenges that they face, particularly with mental health, and that's something that I'm quite passionate about. Um, but I, I, I prefer to help veterans and, and guys, particularly starting their own businesses, because I went through that hell of making those mistakes and doing ham-handed cold emails to clients and them never speaking to me again because I fucked it up so badly at the start and I just had no idea how to run a business and you know the sole purpose of a CEO is capital allocation and I didn't even know what fucking capital was back then 
And, uh, you know, it was just, it was a mozza. And I had to learn by mistakes over and over and over again because I, I searched for a long time, man. Like I searched for a mentor that just got me and got the, the veteran attitude and, and saw my potential. And I didn't find anybody, not one. I, I couldn't find anybody that could help me. And I was devastated. You know, I felt so alone for so long, for so many years. And I, I actually had some you know, troubles of myself sort of mental health-wise, like with, you know, anxiety and depression. Um, particularly anxiety, that, that really hit me quite badly, uh, particularly with a lot of the media work I was doing and the, um, you know, fear of criticism and fear of not being liked and being judged by people. Um, that, that really played on my mind for many years. And I, I, it's, I, I felt adrift. I didn't feel like I had an anchor point. Uh, fortunately, I had my now wife who was, was that rock for me during that time, but, and, and I did end up seeing the light you know, it, it through the trees, uh, but it uh, ended up, it took far longer than it should have, you know, and I, I remember how bad that was and the struggles that I had while I was in the US and um, and even when I came back here to Australia and I just, you know, you feel alone and I'd, I'd never want anybody else to feel like that. It was, it was crushing, uh, particularly when you're running your own business and you, you don't feel like anybody could understand and, you know, I love the veteran community. But we do have some characteristics that are great in one way, but they can fail you in another. And that's that constantly being to have to be the tough guy, having to hold everybody up and having to be the protector. And, you know, you can't show any sign of weakness and admitting to feelings and admitting to anxiety and depression is, you know, weak source. You know what I mean? Or Yeah. Um, allowing that weakness to show through. But I found and, and, and I saw, uh, you know, and I still see even now every second week I speak to a psychologist slash performance coach, um, not so much for mental health issues but more to keep me on the right track because, you know, we, we all f- spent countless hours in the gym and we honed our bodies and our minds in terms of our work um, and, you know, did all the physical stuff for years, but we did nothing with our minds. You know, we did nothing with our mental health. Why would you not spend time in the gym for your mind and your mindset and your mental health? You know, my, you know, I'm, I'm, I've, you know, and I, I don't know if this is PC to say, but you know, I've got the ball handling skills of a lesbian. I can't play footy or sport or anything like that. But my mind is sharp. You know, my mind is like I, I and I need to keep it sharp, and I need to be there for my family and I need to be there for the business and the staff that you know look to me to make decisions so they're not on their asses you know unable to provide for their family so I I, I, I think I never to, understood that either way no, no we need no, to no, remove that sense. stigma you know and and why do you need to go so and that's the whole reason we started the proactive mental health charity was mm. so that go go and see a performance coach a psychologist yeah. and do checkups you go and get services on your car regularly. You don't wait till you run out of oil, and then you're like, I don't know why my car fucking stops, like because you didn't you didn't yeah. maintain it, mate. Yeah. And people just go down this track and they reinforce bullshit, or they they'll go and see a, a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a mate who is only going to reinforce one particular narrative. Oh, mate, yeah. What you know won't go with it, but won't have an objective or subject view of a, a particular point. And why don't you see an expert? You know what I mean? So yeah. Yeah, that's so true, you know, and I, I uh, and, and going back to my point is around that mental health point and, and not having a mentor and, um, 
that's one thing I'm quite passionate about now is more working behind the scenes. I don't really do it overtly, but um, working with guys who've started their own business, so particularly guys who want to get into cybersecurity, guys and girls who want to get into cybersecurity and they, they reach out for advice or how to get a job and things like that. And I, I'll bust my ass to make it happen for them and to give them advice and to get them enrolled in university and, you know, get, get them RPL at a, at a uni and, you know, and I think it's I think it's important that veterans understand the opportunities that are available to them in this market, and that there's always help available. It, it crushes me to think of guys who are struggling mentally that think there's only one way out, and even worse when they do take that way out. It's far, you know, the the shit that we've seen and all boys that we know as well, so needlessly gone. When I just oh, just one fucking phone call and I know what if and if only are poisonous terms. You can't go back on the past, but I want to prevent that from happening in the future. And what veterans need more than anything else is a purpose, 100%. and and have a mission, you know, and a mission where others are along for the ride with you, where they're not by themselves, and that you've got a collective group of people there that aren't going to fucking judge you that just because you have lofty ambitions and you want to reach the very top of your craft and you're like and you can put your foot down and go yes I am this or I am that they're not going to cut you down because of tall poppy syndrome or because of misplaced insecurities that they have that they project onto you because they lack the courage to stand up and say I am as well you know and that is an issue that we do have as a veteran community you know, we can we can sit on our soap, stand on our soapbox, and blame the DBA as much as we fucking like, and they do have their failures, of course, a myriad failures. And but we owe it to ourselves to be there for one another. You know, the military is a great proving ground for people like us, but not everything in the military is transferable. You know that you don't have to be a killer every day of your life. There's nothing wrong. It takes courage to be kind constantly. Even if you might disagree with somebody, what they've said or, or, you know, anything like that, you've been there for one another. We owe it to one another and to not judge and to um, be kind, you know, and I, it's, it's hard to find, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult, you know, there's, there's very, there's great groups and I think the veteran community is improving and I think we're being more and more there for each other and letting go of the tough guy bullshit uh, and finding out what, everything truly means once you join their civilian environment and, and who your real friends are. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's changing. I feel the tide is turning. I feel, you know, that, um, you know, especially guys like yourselves who are really putting that, that mental health messaging and that courage and that, that uh, having the courage to speak out and to say, you know what, I'm not okay. I, don't, I could use a hand. You know, I, just a call or, you know, just to put things into perspective. And you have no idea of the ripple effect of what your actions will do as a business at Swiss 8. You know, you might only see the first-hand ramifications of your efforts, but I guarantee you there's a ripple effect, second and third factor, where the families and the people that have their their dads or their mums still there and or what they go on and do and whose lives they affect down the track. I, I think um, it's, it's, it's laudable what, what you guys do. I think it was. I think it's about trying to. Cheers, mate. I, but I, it's just about taking that victimhood away from people and being like, yeah. you don't have to be a victim. We're not victims. Don't I? Yeah. No. I think the veteran community is really standing up and starting to empower itself, like a lot. I agree. Like, 
the US the US went through it a few years ago as well. You'd see like a tangible change from victimhood to yep. successful businesses like Black Rifle Coffee and things like that. Yeah. And I think dudes are really taking learnt lessons from other people and then using it as like, you know, like looking up to boys like that and being like, Yeah, we can really push through and do some stuff. Yeah. Which brings me up bring are we are we allowed to talk about the tech accelerator up in Townsville next? Yeah, man. Um so uh, uh, Talking about that, um, you're saying about guys guys helping out with guys setting up their own businesses and trying to get into it, and, and you being a mentor. Uh, we partnered with the Inno Club, which was a which is a which is a side business of an RSL, um, but we're part of we partnered with them, uh, and it's effectively a tech accelerator and really? and slingshot for veterans to to and we got we got a we had a, we've just finished one in Sydney this weekend. And uh, we're firing one off on the twenty first of August up in um, up in Townsville, the Townsville Casino. So, What's man, it that's some of you, you know, it's called Inno Club. Inno Club. I, okay. Yeah. Um, mate, if yeah, go and check it out and have a look. And I'd love see to. If something yeah, you want to get it. Yeah, it's just a okay. good shout out to all, all the boys up in Townsville. We're trying to get um, some people up there, which would be good to get you know younger guys trying to get their businesses up and running or their ideas. Yeah, Max. I think you know more details about um sort of what they're providing and stuff like that. That's fantastic. I'd never, I hadn't heard about it to be honest. I um, that's that's a great idea. Yeah, it'd be so much. Yeah, I think it's it's, it's going to be mental, mate. So I mean, yeah. the the object is is, is funded. We'll we'll accelerate. We'll try and fail their business concepts. We'll move it forward. Give them mentorship over a couple of weekends. Out of a week, out of a, out of a month, consistently, yeah. Fail the business, develop the business, and then fund the elect. It's got to be, but it's got to be tech. It's got to be a tech aspect of it. Do you know what okay. I mean? Yeah. Um, and then fund that aspect, you know, whether it's helping them with costs of developing websites and yep. or you know whatever it might. Be. Yeah. So really excited about it, man. Let's see how we go. Yeah, that's that's great. Um, I, I think it'd be worth uh, having people in there, and I'm more than happy to put my hand up and, and recommend other people as well. But to donate their time to talk about um, business development and marketing and sales, because what you'll often find with technology founders is whilst they have the tech technical capability to deliver the products or services that they are building, oftentimes it fails when it comes actually selling the product or service or marketing the business or allocating capital where it's necessary and investing and particularly if they do well at first and they have to go to a you know they look for a cap raise um you know it's it's a murky world to navigate at the best of times and if you can get uh, and there's, there's, I know a number of leaders who'd be willing to donate their time to point these guys in the right direction and to help them out and even make introductions. So I, I think the more that you issue that clarion call um, to people to help out with this and and throw it out there on LinkedIn, you know, and I'm more than happy to share it and get people involved as well. I think that can only benefit people. We can't. I don't think you can keep that sort of that light dimmed. You've got to um, get it out there as much as you can. Yeah, that's what we'll, we'll get it out. And um, I mean, the COVID restrictions is, is hard at the moment, but we're going to get. Yeah. I think uh, I think we're getting about fifty people up at the Townsville Casino, but we'll put a little bit of a post up after this. But yeah, great. Um, 
Yeah. Hey, man, and there's some fucking cool concepts that I wanted to bring up completely with zero segue. I want to talk about TikTok. I want to talk about TikTok, mate. Oh, God. Um, so Adrian is anti-TikTok, and I'm like, I saw a post about a U.S. senator saying Chinese own it and you're fucking – so and we're talking about so this podcast is like mostly goes out to eighteen to forty old dudes chilling in cage like it's it's about eleven thousand people listening every week, but it's the it's the boys. Does TikTok yeah. is it a fucking thing or is it bad? Oh man, well, purely from a privacy and security perspective, the data permissions that TikTok requires of its users upon sign up and i'm one of the fucking weirdos that reads everything that i sign or sign up for hence the reason i'm not on instagram or facebook i am on twitter <laughs> so, I'm, so i'm a fucking hypocrite but that was my next, that yeah, was my I'm, next on, question. I'm on twitter so i'm a hypocrite but uh i'm not on all of those <laughs> I, I have half a soapbox to stand on but the data permissions required to be a user of tiktok are far in excess of probably all of the other platforms combined Regardless of whether it's a state actor that owns that platform, the data permissions that you have to give away are are far-reaching and wide and go far beyond the required data usage for the functionality of that social media platform. So just on that basis alone, I recommend that people probably don't use TikTok. That's my personal opinion. And disclaimer, not a... It reflective of the opinion of the organization which employs me. Please don't fire me, Anchorer. Um, but, <laughs> you know, I think, I, I think that the argument that it's owned by the Chinese, put as much stead as that by you, uh, as you like, you know, but we're more than happy to, you know, use phones that have been developed in China and use a lot of other technical and te technology um, tools and, and bits of kit that have been developed in the same place. And, you know, a lot of our infrastructure is based on sort of or built by Chinese. I, I think it, it is overblown, that portion, and it's used more to sell newspapers and advertising to people on TV and news segments. Um, but I think concerning just data and privacy, uh, data security and data privacy considerations, I wouldn't download it. But it's, it's up to each individual what their level of acceptable risk is when it comes to their data. So what's not acceptable for me, for an 18-year-old girl who doesn't give a shit about, you know, what she gives away to the social media platform and just wants to watch those hilarious videos on it, and they are hilarious. My wife has TikTok and she's not going to delete it no matter how much I want her to. But I've watched those videos over her shoulder and I've been crying from laughing. They're bloody hilarious. <laughs> um but you know, I can see the I can see the allure of TikTok. But you know, I, I think for most of us who uh, and some of some of the boys who love chucking the tinfoil hat on, and they're like, everyone's out to get us. You know, the Chinese they're watching me through my phone. They're like, Dazza, no, they're not, mate. They're not watching you. They don't want to see you pulling your put in front of porn on <laughs> on the Friday night. <laughs> no one's watching you, mate. Nobody wants to see it. <laughs> You've got to think about oh, what your Adrian. exposure is. You know, it, it, is it likely? You've got to think about the whole threat actor thing. Is the do you have something the threat actor wants? You know, um, if your data isn't valuable, unless it's in aggregate with heap a shitload of other people's data, then it is highly unlikely they'll target you personally. Uh, same with our government. You know, um, 
I'm not saying you trust everybody, but you have to be realistic about whether you're going to be targeted or not. Yeah, I was so, a part of a company that was putting a biometric enrollment system in to um, get people into the building. And so many people were concerned and they were like, what happens if the Russians get my fingerprints? What is it? I'm like, A, Russians won't want your fingerprints. And B, how do you unlock your phone every day? How do you unlock your phone with your fingerprint? Yeah. You're trusting Apple. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, no, it's it's all about perception. And I think the media likes to jump onto it and they blow it up out of yeah. proportion like they did with the COVID safe app. Like the COVID safe app's a massive piece of shit and doesn't work properly, but it's safe security wise. You know? Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the thing. They're like, um, oh, they'll get my details and where I've been from. Like, mate, I reckon if you have any one of the social media apps, um, they're like, no, I'm not going to give away my details. Yeah. It's an invasion of privacy. Like, yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that, I found that hilarious. And then whilst there isn't a direct comparison and they're not an exact comparison about COVID safe app, people don't trust the government, but they're like, I am not giving away a name, even though I can use a fake name and my phone number and it doesn't track me at all. But I'm not giving away any of those details, even if I get sick to help other people not die. But then as soon as they write that rant on Twitter, they're like, yeah, that's, that's fucking great. And they're like, oh, hello, menu log. Yeah, my credit card details are um, yeah. <laughs> I live here. Oh, the CVV number? Yeah, it's uh, 284. Um, and my dog's name is uh, Lawrence. And, uh, and the, yeah, no worries. Go back to ranting on Twitter. You're like, oh, yes, the beef rain gang's at the door, but I'm not going to fucking stop someone from dying by downloading the COVID safe app. Fuck that. <laughs> Hundred percent. People are whack. So many, too many conspiracies going around. Everyone's scared. Man, that the whole. uh, Have you seen the whole QAnon thing out of the US? No, you haven't seen that. So, quick overview: the QAnon thing. It's mostly Trump supporters that have sort of been spinning this up. But on a 4chan forum, I think it was uh, earlier this year, someone called Q. Uh, started posting conspiracy theories, and Q is the highest level of security clearance you can get in the US, apparently. It's some Department of Energy security clearance. And anyway, people started believing it. And what they believe is the basis of their opinion is that there's a deep state within government that is uh, controlled by these pedophile ringleaders who are seeking to take over the US, and Donald Trump is going to stop them all. Now, the the premise of, of and the basis of their uh, one of their earlier conspiracy theories that the headquarters of the um, pedophile ring, the deep state within government, was out of a Comet Pizza hut in, uh, I believe it was North Carolina. Anyway, old mate get, comes along with a fucking AR-15 and, uh, you know, Colt 9 mil armed to the teeth busts in this fucking into this pizza shop and holds everybody up. This, this happened. It's called Pizzagate. Google it. Bus in, <laughs> fucking show me where the kids are. Like, where are the kids? They're like, they're in the basement. I know they're in the basement. And the guy's like, we don't have a fucking basement. Anyway, police surround the place. 45 minutes later, he comes out and he goes, it looks like that uh, I can't believe everything that I read on the internet. <laughs> yeah. I'm, taking- I'm not taking the piss. Every single hey. word of that is true. Google that shit, man. Call, I got, Google, I got Google Pizza here. Gate. There's even I'll, pictures of him. I'll be... I'll be linking Pizzagate in the uh, in the description of this podcast, one hundred percent. That's golden, and they still believe. So, it. so the head of this super ultra secret high level society was working out of a pizza shop. Yeah, the the pedophile deep state within government uh, that was their headquarters in their basement that didn't <laughs> exist. 
Um, so you, you'll see a lot of people that have uh, Q and on on their shirts or Q in, in their name or um, typically followed by MAGA, Make America Great Again. Um, you know, the, the US political system is an absolute mess. You know, their, their, um, their hyper focus on nationalism is doing the country a great disservice. I'm very afraid for them. <laughs> so no. did Russia... <laughs> Did Russia interfere with U.S. elections? Oh no, most certainly they did. Most certainly they did. Um, no, there, no, there's actual uh, basis to that. There's actual fact and, and evidence that supports that they did. Um, they uh, it was mostly misinformation that they uh, communicated via social media, um, and that. Uh, allowed that really through the support behind Trump and started these big conspiracy theories and really damaged Hillary's reputation. And they did, did hack into the uh, DNC, the Democratic National Committee's um, databases, but it didn't hack into the actual voting database or didn't affect any of the vote count. Uh, a lot of people believe that. Um, but that's just misinformation and uh, probably a bit of miscommunication from the media. But, um, yeah, they most certainly did hack the DNC um, and they spread a shitload of misinformation through social media and it, it did affect the outcome in my mind. Um, but, yeah, it was very clear that it was Russian actors, whether it was state-sponsored or a um, organised criminal group perhaps paid for by state actors. You never know. It's actually one of the hardest jobs in cybersecurity when you when you um, deter, are determining a threat actor, it's called attribution, and it's almost impossible to do just because of the level of obfuscation and opaqueness to the internet You through VPNs and various other tips and tricks. You can bounce your actual location and, um, and where you're doing your dastardly work from you know anywhere on the planet um it's very easy to hide your um you know your signature because mm. so, uh because what do they say what was the biggest one for for that was that i mean obviously the the embassy stuff was legitimate embassy with uh was it benghazi oh was, yes yes yeah all- yeah, Libya, the, um, the Benghazi thing with old Hillary Clinton, where they uh, the whole argument that she didn't send anybody when they called for help. Is that the whole thing oh, behind something that? Like that? Yeah, yeah. I, um, what was the movie about that? Was it called Benghazi? Uh, uh, 13 something hours. 13 hours? Yeah, 13 hours or something like that. I uh, can't remember. I like that. Well, there's another yeah. one over there too. 13 hours. Saying the people who who the, the groups that operate on the internet were originally I don't know what I was reading the other day I went down you know when you start on YouTube and then you start down a particular line and then before you end up you're in in, in some left or right conspiracy yeah. of the world probably heading to PizzaGate yeah um, yeah but it was saying the, <laughs> the initial people that started using the internet originally were the the outsiders and then. It generated an entire culture of online stuff that we do today yep. that is buried deep across everything that happens on, on most platforms and that and then that's really set a complete alternate sort of 
culture, I suppose. I don't know. Yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm, I think the um, the advent of the internet came out of um, uh, researchers event, uh, uh, needing some way to um, share their research with one another across different universities, and they ended up creating that network and that web. Uh, I, I think that was the genesis of the internet from memory. I was trying to um, – I only read about this a couple of years ago um, – yeah, it was, it was interesting where it came out of, actually. But yeah, it's uh, it's funny where it's it's permeated throughout all of our lives now, hasn't it? You know, you've got connected bloody fridges and washing machines and the fucking fish tanks and all sorts of shit. You know, everything you do is wireless. Like if you had have told, you know, you, you think back to high school, you know, twenty years ago, if you had a thought back to high school then when you've got your snazzy thirty two ten, that you know your phone could do half the things that it does now, you'd think you're mad. Uh, but we, we, we take it for granted now, the technology that we have our, in our hands. Um, it's just amazing. Yeah, I don't know what people – so per, so identity and, and what people give up, mm. I'm not sure. So they're doing online – will they do an online licenses soon? So Queensland or New South yeah, Wales? New South Wales has. So I, 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 I use it myself. It's on my phone, wherever my phone is. Um, yeah, uh, the digital licenses through the uh, the Roads and Maritime Services app or the New South Wales Gov app, and it actually looks like um, like when you tilt it, you can tell it's not a fake. You can't use screenshots and stuff because it has that sort of back image of the New South Wales crown or, or shield or something like that, where you can see the the reef and things um, like on different angles, so you can tell it's real. Um, but there, yeah, that's completely rolled out as a I think it's a trial stage right now with New South, New South Wales, but it's available to everybody and it actually replaces the need for a physical licence. But So I, I haven't carried a physical wallet um, in, I, I think, probably a good nine months. Uh, I do everything out of my phone, everything. Yeah, I'm the exact same. If I could dump my licence, I'd do it straight away. Yeah. If they bring it into Queensland or wherever I am, I'd do it straight away. Oh, it's really Can handy. Bring it into Queensland? What's that? Are they bringing it into Queensland? I don't know if they have. I'll be doing it straight away because that's awesome because I love having just everything on my phone. So yes. then what's and the it, argument? If you have a tax file number that definitely identifies you as it, so I'm talking about your personal identification and who knows what and all this, mm. you have a tax file number that identifies you to the tax department, yeah. right? And you have a driver's licence that's now going to be online that definitely identifies you and you probably everyone's going to get a driver's licence. Yeah. What is the... What personal data are they people trying to protect these days? Like, do we just get on board and just go for fuck's sake? Can we just yeah. name, address, and phone? Like, what do you? Is it is it because maybe one day they're going to start a revolution and they don't want? No, like, no, you're not. You're yeah. you're a middle aged dude. You're probably going to go to work, stay in the same job you're doing, and fucking die. Yeah, have two yeah. kids. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. hate <laughs> divorce. Crack on. Yeah. You're not going to be the leader of the resistance. Yeah, yeah true. Yeah, John Connor. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> we, uh, I think a, a the, you need a healthy dose of cynicism. I think it is worthy to not just take the government and the people who store our data at their word that, yeah, we're doing the right thing because invariably we've seen that they don't do the right thing unless they're held accountable or the questions are asked. So I think a healthy dose of cynicism is 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 good. Uh, when you take it too far and you have zero trust, um, it's it doesn't work, you know, and I think you miss out on a lot of the the benefits that you can get from technology. 
um, it comes down again to your level of acceptable risk, your risk appetite. And, uh, you know, if you look at your data and you uh, look into and do research into the technology and the platforms that both you and especially your family, if you've got young kids or young teenagers or, you know, people that start using social media, it's definitely worth you looking into exactly what their activities are. And there's some great sort of, um, you know, um, functions within most technology platforms and technology tools that allows you to, you know, maintain your security and, um, you know, using a different and just basic hygiene tips like using complicated passwords, you know, um, and using multi-factor authentication, having it switched on across all of your apps, you know, and, um, you know, not using the same password across all your devices, things like that, just basics and not sharing personal information out everywhere and, um, just because you've got a security clearance, it's probably not the best idea to put it on your LinkedIn. Um, you know, things, things like that. Like um, you see, guys do it a lot. It's it's not a massive sort of no no, but I, I I probably I wouldn't be comfortable doing it. It just makes you a, a hashtag target. top secret. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if guys with PV are doing it, if guys with PV are doing it, they need to get their fucking head read a bit. But, yeah, <laughs> baseline or NV one, yeah, I probably wouldn't do it. But it's not the end of the world. Yeah. We should have we should have hit you up before we made our Facebook account. Yeah. We got hacked last year. Remember that, Max? Yeah, we got we got Facebook got legit. Oh, sure. uh, sorry, not Facebook. Hey, we got we got hit hard. Oh, uh, and I meant to all go double double factor authentication. All yeah. the stuff you spoke about. I had one password, and it was a super super hard password. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No. No. Um, they were Anthony. They were yeah, Anthony. <laughs> then name, then birthday. Um, One exclamation mark. Yeah, uh, Swiss aid for life at one. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I, they, they reckon about 10 uh, characters, both uppercase, lowercase, uh, uh, symbol, and a number is the best. They reckon that'll take, even with, you know, machine learning and supercomputers, that'd take, you know, a number of 100 years to break. So, um, yeah, so 10 characters with 10 characters, uppercase, lowercase, symbol, and a numeral. Yeah. And that uh, at least 10 characters. And even what happened- then, you probably wouldn't even need multi factor unless you've sort of stored your password in the wrong place. Better to have both, like defense in depth. You know, we all learned that. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, what is going to happen? Because you spoke about that AI and machine learning. Mm. But what about like people just sit at home? Like, do you remember when like the internet first came out? Everyone thought they were literally back in school, sitting in IT class with a like a N sixty. I don't know what what the fuck it was. Oh it yeah, was like the old IBMs. 64. Yeah, yeah. IBMs. Yeah, yep. that's right. And everyone's like, yeah. Everyone's downloading the terrorist handbook and um, <laughs> thinking they're a hacker on the weekend. It's called the Anarchy School Book, mate. Yeah. Yeah, that's the one. That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> um. People are, like there are people that sit at home and just want to hack shit because I'm yeah. completely oblivious to it. Yeah, no, there are, and that's how most people get their start. Is they just enjoy seeing what they can get into. Uh, you know, just fucking around when you're you're a kid. It's like it's the same sort of kids that you know they used to prank call people from the um, for free. They use the redial thing on the old public pay phones in the country town where I grew up. You know, we didn't have mobile phones. I'm farm boy. We just you get bored, you ride your pushy down to the, the phone box, the only one in town, and start prank calling people. And, you know, or, or trying to, you know, uh, get into your neighbour's bloody dial-up internet. It's just 
um, somehow, and you know, just people that enjoy breaking things. And I think um, you know, veterans do quite well as we call them ethical hackers. You know, we I think hackers are very beneficial if you can bring them over to the uh, the good side. Um, uh, you know, the penetration testing and things like that. It's quite quite handy skill set to have in a in a in cybersecurity industry. But um, veterans do quite well with it because they like to break the fuck shit up. Just see what how much damage they can cause, um, but we're we're all good at breaking things. But I, um, uh, it's interesting, uh, you know, the mindset of different hackers. And they're not always with complex IT backgrounds or educations. It's just typically it's some teenager fucking around. You know that big Twitter hack that just happened recently, where he was posting from all these different high-profile accounts. That was just a sixteen-year-old teenager chilling out in Florida somewhere fucking around <laughs> they arrested him for it you know he's likely going to go to juvie for ages so you know, it's yeah. a very serious crime yeah because he raised a whole bunch of money saying he was yeah. going to donate to a charity like, yeah. yeah yeah he said yeah if you want your uh, something uh, it was like almost like a, a quasi ransomware where he said if you want your platforms back donate this much bitcoin so I think he made or, or something like that. He asked people to donate to Bitcoin, donate Bitcoin or something like that. I think he made like a couple of hundred grand. Uh, obviously, he didn't get any of it, but uh, they arrested him soon later, soon after. But uh, I don't think the people got their money back. Uh, Bitcoin doesn't seem like the type of uh, functionality that gives refunds uh, in forms of hard cash. So I think that money once it's gone, it is once gone. it's gone, it's gone. But you know, talking about AI and machine learning, I think it, you know. It has a very bright future, but I'd be wary of anybody touting the benefits of AI in its current form because we nobody's done that successfully yet. Um, I sort of roll my eyes when I hear cybersecurity vendors talk about their AI platform. Like, mate, it's not AI; it's machine learning. You know, it's you're just feeding a shitload of data into it, and it's got these set protocols that you've coded yourself. It's not actually learning. It's not doing it itself uh, in a cognitive manner and thinking you know, a paradigm breaking and thinking outside the box. It's thinking with very struct limitations that you coded into its algorithm. It's machine learning, uh, you know, and there is a big difference between ML and AI. So, uh, you know, I'm very wary of people when they talk about AI in its truest sense. You know. so what, do, what does Google have then? What's Google, they're trying to develop an AI or they have an AI. Yeah, well, theirs is probably further along than anybody else's, I would imagine, because of their enormous budget. Uh, and I don't know enough about what Google's doing, to be honest. Um, I just know that AI hasn't really been successfully rolled out in cybersecurity yet, but uh, I know Google's done it. Yeah, so no, I, um, yeah, AI, uh, they were using the, the first sort of machines that they sort of pointed towards AI was Deep Blue and Deep Blue 2, which were supercomputers, which beat Gary Gasparov, the, the chess grand champion. And then Go, um, you know, the, the computer that, that beat um the champion at go only recently i think it was like 2009 or 2012 or something and that was a far more complex game and it was actually learning as it went along and had to think outside the box and an unbelievable technology but uh you know to have the application where one day it might replace the human mind for complex tasks that's a decades away you know the uh, machine learning is extremely good at replacing um humans for rote tasks or repetitive tasks but in uh for anything more complex um it's not yet you know applicable across really any industry because elon musk is a little bit is a little scared elon and isn't bill gates they've been i know they've been jumping on a couple of times saying ai yeah. is bloody 
I was like, fuck, are we, is Terminator coming in 15 years? Are we fucked or what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the whole Terminator <laughs> thing. What, are, what do they call it? It's uh, when uh, AI becomes sentient. It's the, uh, God, what's the um, thing called? It's the, um, oh, I'm trying to remember it. Uh, it's when like it becomes self-aware. Self-aware. There's a there's a word for it. Uh, it's the point of um, ah, I've got a I've got a Gilligan point of um, this will fuck with me. Point of what? Um, uh, technological singularity. The point of singularity, uh, where AI becomes sentient and uh, Terminator happens. You know, and they figure out that they no longer need humans to survive. <laughs> and we, you know, yeah. Hopefully, it's another fifteen years. Yeah, uh, we, we we become batteries, <laughs> <laughs> mate. Um, I hope uh, this has been a, an absolute mind blow, man. And obviously, I, I know you're you've moved from uh, digger in the army all the way through the corporate mm. space, and you really are a uh, a bastion or a, a model for which people can can see and be like you can move and grow and move through these sort of things um, and be an asset. And, and you're you're a humble guy, man. And, and hopefully, um, if you're keen, we can get you back on if some crazy stuff in the world happens uh, cyber-wise. And, and, and we'll talk it down to the yeah. boys and talk some <laughs> shit about cyber. That would be great. Yeah, no, I'd love to, man. man. Thank you. That's uh, very kind, man. I, it's been an honour being on here. It's, uh, I think you boys do great work. Uh, it's very necessary for the veteran community to have people like yourselves who can, you know, be a, a voice of the, the veteran community and show what we can really do and that you, then people aren't alone. So uh, it's been an honour being on, on the show with you guys and, uh, you know, anything that you need from me or from, um, you know, in the future, I'd be happy to be back on and likewise any of the ventures that you're doing yourselves or the, you know, with um, NO Club, uh, let me know. I'm more than happy to help. And likewise, any of the listeners, like send me a message on LinkedIn or, um, you know, send me a message on my, on the website or get my phone number off these boys. I'm more than happy to have a chat or if you want to get into cyber or tech, you know, I'm happy to make intros. Just whatever help you need, just give me a call. More than happy to help. I answer everybody. Thanks, man. You're a fucking legend. Cheers, mate. Uh, no, thanks, thanks, guys.